But if you're looking at, even look at your overall MER is a huge step. If you look at your overall marketing spend from Meta, Google, and if primarily you're an online business and most of your sales are happening online, then just have some other data points to compare and triangulate. The number you can't argue with are the number of sales in your CRM. That's got to be a source of truth. So if that's your gross revenue and your CRM, compare that to your overall spend from Meta, Google, compare that to what the ads managers are saying using Google Analytics too. Very helpful. You know, we obviously are big fans of Wicked Reports. Highly recommend Wicked Reports for looking across all your channels and seeing what platform is driving what stage of the funnel. Wicked is great for that. You can open it up and see your Google ads, your meta ads, your email, your organic traffic, and seeing you know where revenue is coming from both. This is the Customer Acquisition Show, the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. Hello and welcome to the Customer Acquisition Show. I am your host, Tom Meredith, VP of Marketing here at Tier 11. And I'm joined by recurring guests and my new in-person friend, the head of media buying, Nick Miller. Welcome back. Hey, Tom, thanks. Great to connect virtually after meeting in person two weeks ago. Yeah, so Nick, how long have you worked at Tier 11 at this point? Gosh, three years now. Three years, four months. Which is always one of the funny things about being at a completely remote agency, which we have always been, is that you don't often get to meet people in real life. Because I think you've only met, what, four or five people at Tier 11 so far? In person, yeah, I've met Angela, Josh, so our VP of Ops, our VP of HR in Australia, and yourself. So that's three people in person. Wow. After three and a half years. Well, the reason we got to meet in person is because we both flew out to New York for Meta's Agency Summit. How would you describe the purpose of the Agency Summit? Well, what I really loved about this event is that it was clear that Meta is embracing agencies. And they actually, that was Meta's words. They say, agencies, you know, you guys are the key to us improving and developing our ad products. And that's a different approach to how Google seems to have been approaching agencies over the past few years. So this was an event, and I believe it was the first event of this kind, an agency summit, to bring agencies together. The content then was very focused because I guess Meta knew they had to make it impactful. They had to really bring their A-game in terms of providing insights, giving some clarity as to the direction they're heading in. Because agencies, not to ring our own bell, but we know our stuff. You know, we're not looking for the high level sales pitches, as it were. We're really looking for to take away insights into what we can bring for our clients. Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting things about this, about Meta in general, is they really kind of are treating us like the influencers. If you were to think of this in terms of like a normal advertising campaign, we're the influencers that are giving more gravity to what Meta is saying because it's also coming from agencies, which if you look at Google, it's kind of funny. It's also how they view advertising is they just get the last click and that's all they care about. They don't care about all the other things that go into it. We had a lot of fun. We met our uh, partner manager, Emily, out there for the first time and talked to some other agency leaders. And it was really good to connect and share some learnings. There was a real spirit of collaboration and camaraderie. Technically, in the room were our competitors. But the other agencies we spoke to, very generous in sharing knowledge. We were able to share ideas about what we've been dealing with, how we've been dealing with changes in the industry. It was just a a really, really great event. So looking forward to 
to future agency summits for sure. So looking back on it, what would you say like your one or two sentence overall takeaway was or something that they said that just stuck with you as the whole purpose of the next quarter to year? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think I can easily repeat the three main points that were the meta we're repeating throughout the day, but I, I think they're, they're spot on. Automation, that's a big one. There's going to be less button pushing. Machine learning is going to be a big part of where we're headed in the future. One of my favorite quotes from Patrick Gilbert, really, where we're evolving from media buyers to algorithm jockeys. So it's a lot of it's going to be about training the machine learning and providing the right inputs to get the right outputs for success. So automation was a big one. On a more specific tactical level, ASC campaigns, the meta is really going heavily into pushing ASC campaigns. They're built on a different machine learning model than campaign types of the past. So still in early days here with ASC campaigns, and you know we've been testing quite extensively here at Tier 11, but obviously we're going to be doing a lot more testing here. And then the other area is Reels. So vertical, short-form video, the vertical swiping, Reels is growing at a very fast rate. The ad inventory is still quite small. It's still early days of the ad inventory, but Meta are really going all in on Reels. They want to compete with TikTok and YouTube Shorts. That seems to be the A race at the moment. Yeah. I don't remember which talk it was that kind of summed up the whole idea for me of that day was the machine learning needs two things, flexibility and fuel to be successful. Almost everything fit within those two categories. And if we think of the flexibility, that's broad targeting, using the whole advantage suite, letting the machine learning make the decisions. And also there's flexibility in having a variety of creatives. So we, they talked a bit about creative diversification. And then the fuel side of, well, of course, is ad spend. They always want more of that fuel. But it's also that first party data, right? That's a fuel for them as well to help make better decisions. Right. And there was a whole entire session devoted to first party data. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of my takeaway of like, oh, well, if we think in these two buckets, are we adding more flexibility or more fuel? I think then we'll be more successful for our clients. Yeah. One thing struck me too about the event, it was very heavily e-com focused. So that, that was quite inter interesting. There wasn't a lot on lead gen, info products, SaaS. It was very heavily e-com focused. Just an observation. Uh, I mean, just about everything from the day applies to any industry, except for some of the things which were very e-com focused, such as specifically talking about shopping campaigns. Yeah, I think one of the reasons they do that is it's easy to collate data and show the customer journey because it's very repeatable across almost all products, at least at a pretty general level. So maybe let's start off with the Performance 5. This is something they've had around for a while. I think they iterated on it a little bit. Before that, it was a Power 5, and they had a slide right. up with what's next, and that's going to be full stack commerce. Full stack commerce, yeah. So having brilliant basics, these best practices for Meta, starting with brilliant basics, going to the Power 5, then moving to Performance 5, which uh, has been account simplification, automation, creative diversification, data quality. Now, that was interesting that they said this was previously CAPI. So I'm still not clear whether they're rebranding CAPI to data quality. But then the fifth part of their Performance 5, results validation. So in the maturity curve they have here, they see this evolving to the next step, which is full stack commerce. That was pretty interesting. Still, they didn't really go into breaking down full stack commerce like they had Performance 5, but this kept coming up. They kept impressing that first party data and evolving in our measurement solutions is going to be really important. 
Yeah. So underneath they have the business goals, the performance five business goals with like efficient CPAs. And the one that they're predicting for full stack commerce is enhanced ROAS and LTV, which sounds like full funnel marketing, which might be something that we have coming down the pike pretty soon. Right. And I think that's the pivot too. So LTV kept coming up. I think there's that shift from only looking at attribution for conversion-driven campaigns. So looking only at run these conversion-focused campaigns for X amount, getting X amount back. Evolving to where we're measuring the customer journey across the full funnel, focusing on lifetime value, but getting into some evolved data solutions, which Meta is calling Measurement 360, which I think is just a name for really putting some measurement solutions in place. So you're able to track awareness, get a good idea of your total marketing mix. You're understanding you know, your customer journey across your platforms from Meta ads, Google ads, even you know, organic traffic, which is, I mean, creator content, organic viral videos, it's influencers. It's an undeniable, powerful source of traffic too. That's not a paid traffic strategy, but a lot of brands are leveraging this with great success. Yeah. Well, I think we can hit on the Cappy one real quick. I have a, a little story that will explain the difference between Cappy and data quality. Conversions API, we had our quarterly business review with our partner manager. She showed us our little chart of the things that we do well as an agency and the things that we need to be better at. With Conversions API, I think we're sitting at like 90% of all of our clients have Cappy integration. But then they have a new like secondary metric, which is data quality, which basically is a measurement. The EM, that's, is that the EMQ? Yeah, the EMQs. Right. So I think yes. we're sitting at like 50% of our clients have EMQs in the good to great threshold, which is above five. Now, that's clearly the way things are going forward. And we're building a tool right now that's going to improve that first quality data. In fact, we've started testing it on the tier 11. And we've seen between a 40 and 100% increase in the EMQ, depending on the conversion event. So it's clearly going to be part of that really high quality fuel that Meta needs and all the ad platforms do. Right. Because iOS 14, everybody, if you're even remotely involved in Meta ads, that you'll remember the impact of iOS 14. I mean, what's great to hear, our partner manager has confirmed, look, Meta's come back with evolved measurement solutions, event matching. They're getting ahead of this. And now they're getting ahead of iOS 17. So both Meta and Google, they're not oblivious to trends in this area with privacy, both tech advances in privacy, regulations, and consumers becoming more privacy aware and privacy focused. So it's building out these measurement solutions. So I'm really excited about our solution we're building in-house here to improve this matching quality. Yeah, me too. It was fun to see it on the tier 11 account go from like yellow to green. Like I did something. Now, <laughs> whether improved EMQs lead to better marketing outcomes, I think is a bit of a question at this point. The yeah. logic would say yes, but with machine learning, nothing's logical, at least to my human mind. <laughs> cool. So, I mean, I think one of the main topics, and they actually had like a marketing activation there for this, and something we should probably talk about quite a bit is Reels. Yeah. And they were saying that once they launched Reels, they've seen a 24% increase in overall usage of Instagram. Of Instagram, I mean, which is huge. That's massive. Yeah. Some of the other stats here, the impressions shown to 18 to 24-year-olds are more than double the amount of impressions for non-Reels placements. That 18 to 24-year-old demographic you know, sometimes we can tend to place these demographics on a pedestal. <laughs> they come up a lot in statistics. And obviously, you know, we're looking to market across the broad for all demographics. But 
I think the thing is, as you get into demographics with who are older, there's more data data available in the data ecosystem. 35, 50 year olds, 50, 50 plus, 65 plus, there's usually a lot more data just through the way people opt in to draw on their data. And it can be a lot easier to build profiles around some of these older demographics. For these younger generations, 18 and 24, they're still probably yet to really be able to provide data points around their purchasing behavior. But we're seeing here that on Reels, it's obvious these younger generations don't use Facebook as much. They're getting on Reels, they're sharing stories, even you know, even the feeds. We're seeing more of a move to this vertical video. So Meta wants to compete with TikTok. So it's, it's really important to pay attention to viewing behavior. As far as ads go, what Meta shared was that Reels are on par in terms of CPA to other placements like feeds. Now, when they ran Reels in addition to a feed setup, they actually saw there was a 6% lower CPC, 18% higher delivery, ad delivery to Gen Z, which, okay, is this, <laughs> this demographic we, we've touched on, 16% lower CPM and 48%, 48% higher video views. So Reels is a very important platform to pay attention to. And I think scrolling vertical video, short form video in general, is an area that we would be quite silly to ignore. Yeah, I think the one stat, I mean, the 20, increasing Instagram by 24%, like the usage, I think that was a pretty interesting stat. The other stat that I thought was really powerful is like 30% of time spent on Instagram is spent in Reels. And if you are a brand or an advertiser, whether you're doing organic or ads, like if you're not taking advantage of Reels, you're like missing 30% of the audience on Instagram. Right, yeah. It's gonna be interesting to see the social aspect of Reels. So Reels are shared. Reels and stories, people are sharing them. Now the newsfeed, historically, it's a very social sharing place. So, you know, people sharing photos of their vacations or whatever, or just posting updates for conversation, talking about the Facebook newsfeed here. Now, Instagram is always going to require some kind of image. You can't create an Instagram post without uh, a video or an image. Facebook, you can. You can just type your post and have some text there. Now, Reels, it's all going to be based around, even if you upload a static image, you're going to be prompted to put some music behind it and create like this little video, almost like a GIF that you're going to post. So it's predominantly video focused and it's not really designed to create discussion. You can still share with your friends, with, with your own followers, but then that might be shared with other friends, et cetera, et cetera. It can be shared through text and WhatsApp. It's still a very social placement in the meta and all the meta options, but it's still a different way of interacting from traditional feeds. Yeah, and meta gave like three levels of integrating reels into your advertising. The first was simply flipping that like advantage placements just so your vertical videos just start showing up within reels. Yeah, and it's quite interesting. You actually, at the moment, you cannot run separate Facebook Reels campaigns and a separate Reels only campaigns. So it looks like they're looking to optimize the inventory in both because it's a very similar experience if you're watching Reels in either Instagram or Facebook where the feeds are quite different. And stories too, if you're scrolling through your stories on Instagram, it's very similar to how you see the stories on Facebook, even with the circles up the top there. We've seen in some accounts that Instagram Reels may be performing better performance-wise than on Facebook, but we can't separate them. I think that's going to change. Soon there will be a way to target both. 
possibly. I don't think so. I mean, I think this gets back to the flexibility thing that they're talking about. Giving Facebook and Meta the flexibility to show what they want or what they deem to be across these. So the first was turning on advantage placements. The second was basically creating vertical videos that are respectful of like the creative requirements for reels, which is to safe zone. Yeah, to have a safe zone. So just an example explainer of the safe zone. When you're designing videos for reels, you want to make sure that you don't put anything of importance that's going to sit behind the interface. So whether that's the caption on the bottom, the like and share on the side or the navigation across the top. So you want to make sure all the important stuff happens like right in the middle of the screen. And the other is to make it sound, design it with sound on because Reels is natively sound on. And then the third level of Reels adoption would be to basically make native Reels as ads. So things that are engaging and educational. And if we take TikTok's famous line of don't create ads, create TikToks, that's kind of like a master big gigabrain level of Reels for advertising. Right, right. And it's quite interesting to have conversations with clients when they are building a brand, for example, and have a lot of guidelines and directions around how they're building their brand. The adaption for this placement and social in general, creating what works on paid social while also retaining integrity to the brand. And as we know, sometimes the most basic, whether it's talking to camera or a video that's just shot on a phone comes across like something that somebody might share with friends can perform so well. Now, you know, as we're seeing in these vertical video placements, as we see the content creators, there's certain styles of content creation. So a lot of talking to camera with captions, with fast edits, sound effects for edits, really keeping things to the point, ending videos on a high. There's no room for dragging things out or starting too slowly. These are the adaptions for creative that here we, we pay very close attention to. We obviously very focused on brand equity, remaining true to the brand. Combining those two can be a fun challenge. Agreed. Any other thoughts on Reels before we move on to uh, Measurement 360? Uh, I think, yeah, we, we've touched on Reels there. I think everybody who's engaged with Reels, TikTok, YouTube Shorts, probably knows how addictive the algorithms are very good at finding out. It leads to a lot of time on the platform. So that's likely what your customers are doing too. Yeah, and I'd say just get on Reels sooner than later because the earlier you are, the light, least expensive it's going to be because as more people start to migrate yeah, over, yeah. just like everything else. yeah costs are going to rise. Cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. So moving on to measurement 360. Can you give a brief explainer what that means other than measurement from all directions? Yeah, this is a really interesting area. And as we touched on iOS 14, iOS 17, moving into a future that is going to be more privacy focused. And measurement 360 is really just a term for getting away from looking at one source of truth. For many years, we were able to look, open up Ads Manager and use Ads Manager as the only source of measurement, the only source of truth, and that worked. The past few years, we saw the need to, okay, we can't just rely on Ads Manager. Now, that's if we're looking at overall ad spend marketing efficiency ratio. So Meta's encouraging advertisers to evolve the way we measure. First-party data is a big part of this. The more first-party data that businesses are collecting, processing, storing, and using to optimize, then that's going to fuel the ad intelligence. So that came up again and again, first-party data. And the three layers 
of Measurement 360, which came up, are the attribution layer, which is layer one, which is really what we're used to. That's Ads Manager, but it also includes Google Analytics and even third-party tools, Wicked Reports. If you're using that to look at campaigns and say, okay, this campaign, this ad, we spent say, X amount. So we spent 50K on this, this campaign. It generated 100,000 in revenue. That's a 2X ROAS. And that's what that platform says or Google Analytics says or the third-party tool says if you're using it for that kind of attribution. The advantages there are the speed in which we can look at those results. The scope can still be broad if we're using multiple channels. You know, Wicked Reports is fantastic for this. But where Meta says that falls short is in the accuracy if you're looking at like a big picture. So the next layer of Measurement 360 is experiments. And these are Meta's brand lift studies and conversion lift studies. So these are laid on top where you're going to run a test where Meta's going to show your ads to a group of people. And in the test, there's also going to be a group of people who, where they make sure those people don't see your ads. And then after the test, which can run anywhere between four to 12 weeks, they send out a poll and ask questions such as, have you seen an ad for this brand in the last two days? Have you heard of this brand overall? When you think of a certain service or say, you know, when you think of sunglasses, which of the following comes to mind? That's giving some aided awareness, some, some prompts there. So then that's looking for some higher level data there on how overall the meta ads are having an impact. Uh, Google, can, you can do the same thing with YouTube brand lift studies. That's the accuracy Meta is actually saying that is a highly accurate way to measure the impact of Meta ads. Now, the scope there is it's quite weak on scope because you're only looking at the Meta ads there. It's still a great way to brand awareness. How are we growing our overall awareness in the market through our Meta ads? The third level here, I'm only just going to mention it. I'm not going to even pretend I understand really anything about it. But that's media mix modeling. And there, the strongest part of media mix modeling is the scope. If you're employing media mix modeling and you're looking at this on a regular basis, you're going to be able to see how your channels are performing at you know what level of the funnel, basically where you should be investing. So that's across your Google ads, your meta ads, even your out of home and TV, connected TV advertising. It's your entire media mix. Take some serious data analysis and almost, as I understand, a level of data science to really employ this effectively. But Meta is actually saying, hey, you should be paying attention to this, especially if you're investing across across a wide range of channels. All right. So just to recap for the Measurement 360, we've got the basic attribution, which everybody's familiar with. Meta, I thought what was really interesting is suggesting not just using Ads Manager, but also kind of triangulating that across Google Analytics and your Shopify store. It doesn't really give you a precise data of who did what, but you could start to get a sense from looking at those three together of what's working at that point across multiple advertisers. And then the next level up would be doing experiments ideally official experiments across Meta and Google where that are like clean data, like super clear, but you could probably get away with doing a little bit of like smaller experiments of your own that are not necessarily structured in that Meta way. And finally, is like the media mix modeling, which is basically how your brand is being seen in the market across everything over a long period of time. Yeah, yeah. And I think, look, I, I think there's a certain spend threshold where some of these will become more applicable. Uh, I think with the attribution 
model. I think that triangulation, the word, perfect word here, as long as you're not relying on one source of truth, I think everybody needs to start getting away from only looking at ads manager. But if you're looking at, even looking at your overall MER is a huge step. If you look at your overall marketing spend from Meta, Google, and if primarily you're an online business and most of your sales are happening online, then just have some other data points to compare and triangulate. The number you can't argue with, the number of sales in your CRM, that's got to be a source of truth. So if that's your gross revenue in your CRM, compare that to your overall spend from Meta, Google, compare that to what the ads managers are saying using Google Analytics too, very helpful. Now, we obviously are big fans of Wicked Reports. Highly recommend Wicked Reports for looking across all your channels and seeing what platform is driving what stage of the funnel. Wicked is great for that. You can open it up and see your Google ads, your meta ads, your email, your organic traffic, and seeing you know where revenue is coming from both. So I think for a lot of SMBs, small and medium businesses, that attribution model is likely where you're going to be going to be spending the most time. The second layer experiments can be really handy if, you know, if you're starting to look at full funnel strategies, you want to get a gauge of how Meta might be impacting awareness in the market. Great thing about brand list studies at Meta, they actually don't cost you anything more, but there is a minimum spend threshold. So as long as you're spending that in your Meta ads, then you can actually run these experiments without actually having to spend more. It's really, <laughs> it's a certain level with this data solution measurement conversation. I'm just like, okay, I know enough to be dangerous, but when we get into media mix modeling and things like that, that's, you know, when you've got to bring in some, some heavy duty data analysis experts there. Yeah. So I guess moving on to the thing that was probably the most talked about, and that's the advantage suite of tools that Meta's rolling out. And this is kind of their main automation brand. So I'll head on a couple and then I'll let you talk about the big one. Some of the advantage suite is that you have your advantage placements, which we talked about, which is basically giving Meta the option to show your ads on any of the placements they have. A newer one is advantage audiences, which is similar to Google's audience expansion. So traditionally with Meta, you could give it an audience or some targeting, and it would only shop within that targeting. But with this advantage audience, that's more of like a seed, and then they will expand upon that to find other similar people. Then the other advantage, one that was I thought was pretty interesting, and also basically a copy of Performance Max, is the advantage destination, which is basically giving Facebook or Meta the ability to send traffic to the page that is most likely to achieve your conversion goal. Right. Very similar to Performance Max. Yeah. And then the big one, which I'll let you hammer on, is advantage shopping campaigns and that whole side of the business. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they've built the advantage suite on a different machine learning model says a lot. You know, they're really looking to create a new product here. And out of the three areas they mentioned throughout the day, kept repeating automation, ASC, and Reels. So ASC is a big one here. I'm actually quite interested. I expect they're going to evolve to Advantage Plus campaigns. They've been Advantage shopping campaigns, heavily focused on e-com, where we'll upload the product catalogs and then they'll be tagged and just showing on, on all placements. But I expect, you know, there's whole volume there of non-e-com advertising revenue. I can only guess they're developing this for e-com. Like you said, in e-com, getting the data, building on the results and improving the product is probably going to happen the quickest through e-com. So hence, you know, that's where they've launched it. But yeah, they're calling this their hero product. 
ASD campaigns will exit the learning phase faster. And that's because they're taking learning from every, every placement. And what I find really interesting too is there's going to be learning at the ad level. So um, this is quite a shift where previously the learning would happen at the ad set level. If I understand correctly, this means that if there's a certain high-performing ad, and then this ad is also duplicated and brought into a new campaign, a whole new campaign, it's going to retain the learning from previous performance. So whether that retains social proof and things like that, I don't know. But that's a big shift as well. But it makes a lot of sense because we heard that 56% of the auction outcomes are driven by creative. So if a particular creative is working, why reset everything if you launch an ad that's identical with the same creative? So I think Meta's caught on to that. The recommendation at the moment is to allocate at least 30% of budget to ASC. We've actually had some scenes of success here for some clients running ASC for non-e-com clients. So we have a client in the info slash SaaS space where our media buyers ran some ads they see and saw some quite promising results. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said. I'm not, I was always under the impression that the learning was at the ad level. Has it not always been at the ad level? So, well, let, let me just clarify that. So learning definitely will happen, yes, at the ad level, but within the ad set, that's just why when you look at performance, when you look at whether the learning phase or the active status you see that at the ad set level, not at the ad level. You know what I mean? So that means, yes, the ad set is learning. And with ASC Plus campaigns, they're saying they're exiting the learning phase a lot earlier. Now, imagine you have an ad set running and it's active. You pause the current ads and for whatever reason, you duplicate an ad and, and start it again or start an ad set with exactly the same copy, creative, everything targeting. You know, that's still going to go in the learning phase. So it just makes a lot of sense that if Meta is looking at this and saying, hang on, we have if we have an ad, I think it's going to be a little different with ASC. You don't copy post IDs and things like this. But if we have an ad and everything's the same, why would we reset all of that if it's exactly the same thing? Why not gather learning around at the ad level? And even if that's launched in a new campaign, why make it learn all over again? It's the same thing. I think that makes a lot of sense. And we'll have to see where that leads. But I think it's the machine learning model called, I think it might be called Lattice. I don't know. I can't remember if that's specifically related to, related to ASC campaigns, but the Lattice machine learning model is different from what was driving, you know, previous feed-based campaigns. So yeah, super, super, super interesting development. Yeah, I think that was one of my biggest interesting things as well. It's like that they built a completely new model for ASC and it's what allows it to exit earlier. They also suggested a time for how long to run an ASC before making adjustments, didn't they? Or did I mishear that? Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. I, I forget. <laughs> Don't have any more notes. But uh, the other uh, super cool feature, which eerily reminiscent of classic Google Ads bid adjustments is um, bid multipliers. So this is Meta's objective to find the sweet spot between completely leaning into the AI and creating a campaign, hitting the start button, launching it, and just letting the AI do everything. And then traditional performance DR media buying where we're looking to control everything. You know, we're looking for data on demographics, interests, the old audience insights page where we'd be able to 
Really granular, even down to cutting out spend for certain phone operating systems, getting really is controlling everything. So Meta is looking to find a sweet spot, a balance between those two. And build bit multipliers, there's going to be 19 parameters such as age, gender, location. I don't know what the other ones are. This is only available at the moment if you're running ads through the API. It's not in Ads Manager yet, but it's going to be available soon. And they've especially said these have been developed with ASC campaigns in mind. But it means that we're going to be able to take what we know about our customers, that some data that we have confidence in, and not so much target but increase bids. Basically, tell the machine learning prioritize these parameters. You know, if we know our audience is between 28. 35, you know, mostly between 28, 35 female, then we can actually increase, we'll be able to increase bids on those parameters. That's like Google bid adjustments. And that's going to be pretty interesting too. I remember something about it being like eight weeks they were suggesting running or letting it learn or and maybe I misheard that. Well, I think that actually reminded me of a little jumping across to another topic here, but full funnel strategies where we're very focused on this. Talking to one of our media buyers, Ollie, shout out to Ollie Whittle here when he, he just summarized it so well. And he said, look, if we're running conversions only campaigns to cold traffic, we're trying to get a purchase from somebody in the most expensive way possible. Because conversion campaigns, conversion-based bidding works where Meta is looking for signals in the market for people who are going to buy, you know, who are already showing the signals there in buying mode. That's so heavily targeted that to serve an impression to those viewers, you've got all, all your competition already bidding on that same thing. And even across totally different industries, being able to target using consideration-based objectives and awareness-based objectives takes into account, okay, you're playing the long game. You're reaching people at a stage before they're going to go into buying mode. So when they get to that buying state of mind, aha, you know, they're already warmed up. And Ollie's actually going to be on the show next week talking about this. So that's one to watch. I think when you mentioned the eight weeks there, I do know they mentioned this when you're starting to move up the funnel and you're just starting to do this. Don't go directly to awareness. Start with consideration. Move one movement up the funnel and start with consideration campaigns. Give that at least eight weeks and dedicate 20% of the budget. So that was actually a recommendation for advertisers who are looking to scale more, but awareness is very broad. Consideration is broader, but awareness is very broad. And myself, I'm guilty of this. When I think of full funnel strategies, I tend to automatically just think, oh, okay, how can we create more awareness? Consideration is like the middle child in the, in the, in the overall customer journey funnel. It gets very you know, overlooked, but it's, in a lot of ways, it's going to have a bigger impact on the sales than every stage of the funnel is important. And the other recommendation there was to allocate at least 20% of budget to your consideration campaigns if this is where you're starting out, ideally 30%. Yeah. I think one thing to think about, if you think of yourself as an individual advertiser, you might think that you need to go to awareness to build up your interest in the yourself. But really, you're part of a category of advertisers. So that consideration phase is for people who are considering the category, not necessarily you. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And then they talked to, this is something that we were both surprised by with the awareness campaigns is they were suggesting targeting. We always think that is like, go broad, go broad. But we think, oh, awareness, they say, oh, yeah, use targeting here. <laughs> that's, that's right. That was like, oh, that was such an aha moment. The Yeah, so the idea is, and uh, for consideration campaigns too, I believe. So when 
you're running your conversion campaigns, lean into the AI, train the machine. However, when you're going up the funnel, especially with awareness, you're going to go so broad, you need to use your targeting, use what you know about your customers to reach the right people. If you do know that you have a particular target segments, you have some insights into their interests or into their demographics, then use that in your higher funnel campaigns. Don't rely on the machine to find you the traffic or the video views because Meta, both Meta and Google can be very good at finding people who are just going to watch something for the sake of it or even click on on something. So use your targeting wisely there. And I think that was something, you know, because we're hearing all the time, go broad, go broad, relinquish, relinquish control to the, the AI and the machine learning. But for your top of funnel campaigns, no, no. <laughs> I really should mention that more. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think if you look at the targeting from like a machine learning perspective, you know, it always needs an outcome to know if it did a good job, right? So conversion campaigns is a clear outcome. Did somebody buy? Did somebody become a lead? For your consideration campaigns, there's still a good outcome. Like, did somebody watch the video? Did somebody do traffic? It can optimize for that. But for the reach campaigns, there's no outcome for it to really optimize for because they're just showing it to people. Like... Alchemy is showing it to more people, that doesn't really tell if it's doing a good job or not. Right, right. So yes, you might be able to achieve an immense amount of reach, but you really want to reach the people who are more likely to be in your, your target segments. Let's see. All right. What else have we not hit on yet? We had out of the five sessions, we've touched on performance, what's working now, first party data, voice from the product team, they're talking about ASC and Reels, basically, and, and automation. That's where we're moving to. The Creative Driven Insights, super, super interesting session there. Have to admit, there was an ice cream machine there at Meta. We both went and got an ice cream, so we, we missed like the first five minutes. But some... Yeah. When we walked in, everybody was so jealous of us because we were just these two dudes. Oh, everybody kids. <laughs> like, where did you guys get that ice cream? Oh, we found the... This the is the benefit there. of building up a good relationship with your partner manager. She'll take you to all the fun spots at the headquarters. <laughs> the creative diversification was, was a big subject here. So talking about ways to increase your reach, possibly increase your scale, without just reaching for spend as lever. So if you're running creative that you found is working, Meta are actually recommending don't pause your top performers, even if they're showing signs of fatigue. Add new creative to diversify. And this keeps coming up and again, again and again. Creative is the targeting now. I have to add, I think this is specifically talking about conversion based campaigns for your awareness campaigns. Use your targeting. But you know, for your conversion campaigns, then yeah, targeting um, is going to be through creative. The creative is the targeting. Now, you can expand your reach by diversifying your creative. So if you know, you've had a particular style of creative that's showcasing the product, but you don't have a lot of UGC, for example, start adding UGC. If you don't have a lot of talk-to-camera videos from, say, influencer content or even from founders, then introduce some of that creative and start start testing that. Iterate on your top performing creatives, start changing things up. But super interesting that they said, keep your top performers running. So I know from running, running campaigns, if I see the top performers start fatiguing, I've been very quick in the past to be like, okay, run their race. Let's, uh, let's pull them out, add something new. Leave them in there and put more horses in that race. They had said something that 
I also thought was really interesting to increase the reach of campaign. You don't need to give it more budget always. You get more creatives and can achieve a similar effect, which goes back to this idea that, you know, they just need fuel, right? The fuel is ad spend, data, and creative. So if you're putting more creatives in, you can increase your reach, basically your efficiency, because there will be more opportunities to find the right person at the right place and show them the right thing. Yeah, I thought it was really, you know, thinking through like the diversification. I know we've been guilty in the past of like, oh, we're going to create diverse creatives and we just change like maybe some text or the color of something. But that's not what they're saying. They're saying like change the messaging, change the style, change the visuals, change like the aspect ratio. Is it a video? Is it an image? Really give it the flexibility, the flexibility to show anything to anybody at any time and making sure that you have given them the right creative to show. Yeah, it's. I think it's It's so easy when you find something that works in meta ads, creative-wise, just a strong temptation to be like, that style works. So we're going to make more of that. You know, I know what I'm excited about. We've been developing, big shout out to Kobe for uh, leading the charge here, is a testing methodology based on pillars. So based on a research of the customers. And we want to see patterns over time. But you know, the assumption lay here is that the customers are going to respond to certain value propositions or desire points or pain points. And, you know, so we have a building a report that's going to break out the data and aggregate data based on that messaging. So I think, you know, with all the different variables we're going to have with creative, you know, is it UGC? Is it, is it a product video? Is it unboxing? Is it influencer content? Is it a static image? You know, we can get all these variables, but, you know, that old axiom focus on what doesn't change. If we see the patterns in the particular pain points and desire points, that gives us parameters then, okay, within this pillar. So for example, you know, there's a certain status pillars, you know, for a luxury item. Okay, great. That's the pillar there. People are responding to this status pillar messaging around status. Let's develop some more creative within that pillar. But, you know, overall, we're seeing that's, that's the messaging that's driving. So I'm really, really excited about that development. But yeah, diversifying creative, looking where to double down on things. But I think the temptation just to double down on the style, the image, you know, the image type or the, the, the content type can lead to painting ourselves into a corner if we, if we do that all the time. Yeah. And then the final session was on future of AI within meta. There's not a whole lot you can do yet. Uh, do you want to talk about some of the things they talked? They mentioned were coming. Yeah, I mean, like as you can, as everyone who's watching can imagine, it's just cool AI stuff. Uh, AI is the hot topic. Meta are no exception. They're developed some really cool things. It's not simple, but with everything happening in AI right now, this seems like a simple example. If you have a square image and you know you need a vertical image of that, you'll be able to supply that to Meta, and it will intelligently fill in the top and the bottom. You know, if you have an image of your product on a table. It'll look at the room and say, oh, okay, we're going to make this vertical. It'll just extend the image and voila, a vertical version of your creative. So, you know, things like that. You know, they talked a little bit about AI generated creative. So through prompts and things like this, we're already seeing copy variations, AI generated copy variations within Ads Manager. I think it's exciting. It's going to enable speed and take some of the the manual, possibly the manual editing and things like that out. But yeah, obviously we have had whole episodes, you know, dedicated to AI. But um, yeah, definitely a cool session. There were some some parts there which were more around policy, keeping 
things, ad disapprovals, creative disapprovals, things like that, which were interesting. But as an advertiser, I tend to associate that with ads getting disapproved by accident, things like that. Ads getting unintentionally flagged for something which has nothing to do with. But top priority for them is to create a good user experience for the users. As advertisers, we come second. That makes sense. I agree. Yeah, I can't think of anything else that besides those two that you mentioned. They had something about, I think it was them, that pulling out like a product shot and putting it into new scenes. It's kind of the same idea of like the outpainting, just optimizing for the placement and the person. All right, so final takeaways and any predictions that you have coming out of this summit that we went to? For those watching, for our clients, for the business owners who are curious about where Meta's heading, it's exciting. That's my big takeaway. You know, I think the the ad platform was rocked by iOS 14. Uh, I, I see that Meta is a lot more prepared for future developments, iOS 17. The way, the direction we're moving in, creative focus. Creative is, I mean, literally, Meta said 56% of auction outcome is going to be driven by creative. Knowing your customers, doing your homework there is the foundation, which then, you know, bringing that knowledge of your customers with this amazing suite of tools that Meta has for advertising, that's going to be the edge. That's going to be the advantage. But we're going to see really powerful developments in machine learning and full funnel strategies. Pay attention to reels, vertical video. It's really not a nice to have anymore. It's a must have. It's the usage, the inventory the necessity of running that kind of content, I would say both paid and organic, I think is only going to increase. So uh, really pay attention to that space and pay attention to the ASC suite. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, for me, I think the main mindset shift was that the meta machine learning basically breaks down into two buckets to help it optimize. Are you giving it flexibility? Are you giving it fuel? And if you're not doing that, is there a good enough business reason why? Then where it's going, my long-term prediction is I think they are going to get rid of awareness consideration and conversion campaigns. And it's just going to be a single advantage journey kind of unit where you just give it the creative, you tell it the outcome, and it's going to show the right thing to the person in the awareness stage, the right person thing to the person at the consideration phase. I think it's going to become kind of like an all-in-one customer journey where you just give it the creative performance max and the the (laughs) data. So yeah, yeah, that's that makes sense for sure. Sweet. Well, Nick, it was good meeting you in person. Thanks for hopping on today and kind of running through everything that we were like taken by and took away from the summit. And appreciate having you here. Always fun. Love being on. So. Yeah. And if you are watching this and would like to work with Tier Eleven on not just your meta, but your whole customer journey, creative diversification, and the strong data layer that we're building right now, head over to tier11.com. Click the big pink button and we'd love to chat with you. Otherwise, I'm Tom Meredith and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.